Well, as is our custom here, um, I was kind of looking to the Lord for the new year and, you know, just a word that would speak something, have some meaning or direction. Uh, And he quickened a couple of verses to me, and I wanted to just look at them with you this morning. And one set of verses was in the prophet Zechariah chapter 4. And I wanted to read this together with you. And I'm actually going to read the whole chapter, but it's not that long. So I'm going to start in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 1. And it says, The angel that talked with me came again and walked and waked me as a man that's waking out of sleep. And he said, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and seven lamps therein, and seven pipes, and the seven lamps which are upon the top, and two olive trees by it one upon the right side of the bull and the other upon the left side. So I answered and spoke to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt be? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and they shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. With these seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which runs to and fro. Through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, well, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side? And I answered again and I said unto him, uh, What are these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the, empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Know not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So that's quite a quite a passage and quite a conversation to have with an angel and to to see those things in heaven and we you know we're going to just kind of consider how they have ramifications for our day as well but um you know so Zechariah he sees this vision of a golden candlesticks that has seven lamps and of course this can represent the the seven spirits of God the holy spirit and his anointing and his power he also see, sees two olive trees and that we just read at the end of the chapter. They represent those who stand before the Lord of the whole earth or his two witnesses that are going to come again. You know, Moses and Elijah, um, they will appear and testify of Christ to Israel and to the kingdom of the beast. And I was just, actually, that was one of the things I was considering. I was just walking the streets of Jerusalem like two witnesses are going to be here not that long they're going to come and I, they're going to speak and they're going to have a message and actually I was just kind of quick and you know I was just thinking well what are they going to preach well uh, Zechariah kind of shows us what they're going to preach and what they're going to proclaim and I was, but what struck me as I was reading this passage is that Zechariah asks a question after seeing the vision of the candlestick and the olive trees and you know of course the the two witnesses and such have a lot of Revelance or their application to our day, the day we're coming into, 
right? We're looking for a powerful move of the Holy Spirit to sweep not just our land or our city, but sweep the whole earth to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And, and of course, that will culminate with the two witnesses coming to Jerusalem, proclaiming Christ, performing miracles. The enemy won't be able to stop them. You know, I think that's going to, the saints in the earth are going to be encouraged. Ah, he can't, he can't stop what they're going to say. They're proclaiming the truth and the message of Christ. Maybe the world will even hear their preaching. I don't know if they're going to be on the internet or what. But the Lord says they're going to be there. But, but Zechariah asks a question. He says, what are these things? What do they mean? Right, he saw that, man, this vision is significant and powerful. But Lord, what does it mean? But what really struck me was the reply. And so let's read verses 6 and 7 again. And he answered me saying, right, here's what this means. He says, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord undeserable, not by might or by power, but by my spirit. What are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain and he'll bring forth the headstone with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. That phrase really jumped out to me, to me because I was just kind of thinking, my, I had the same question I was reading this, like, why was he giving this vision to Zechariah? And it, it was kind of a different answer. You would look for an explanation, but, but as the angel talks to Zechariah, he says, this vision is the word of the Lord. This vision is the word of the Lord. And what is the word of the Lord? Not by might or by power, but by my spirit. And they would overcome by the spirit of God. The great mountain that stands before them would become a plain and the building would be complete. Now we think about the practical uh, fulfillment, right? Is that while there was a historical fulfillment and there's a last day's fulfillment, right? The, the temple was, they were having trouble building that temple. They had opposition. They had a great mountain, but it was brought down and God allowed them to build that temple. In the last days, the church is going to face great opposition. It'll be a great mountain that's going to right, try to oppose them in every land. But that message is God will bring them down and he will complete what he started in his church. And that will be an encouraging thing. And so the saints of the last days are going to be in great difficulty and they'll see these two men appear. And what, what is the message? This is the word of the Lord. Not by might, nor by power. And there'll be many people saying, we're powerful, we are the ones in charge, and so forth. And God says, no, it's not them. It's by my spirit. That mountain will be brought down. It also says in, in verse 7, it says, he'll bring forth the headstone with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. And that head, word headstone is pretty significant because um, we know what the cornerstone of the foundation, right? You would start with that and all the measurements would be taken off the cornerstone and you'd build the foundation. And they started on that in the, in the restoration temple. They built the foundation and then the work stopped because the enemy was opposing them. But now he's talking about the headstone. The headstone is the last stone that's put into place. It's the, the, the top stone, you could say, the capstone. That when that was put into place, the building was finished. It was complete. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to put the foundation stone, which speaks of Christ. Then there's the headstone. It's that completion. 
God is going to complete what he started. He's going to do that in Israel. He's going to do that in the church. And he wants to do that in our lives as well. He wants to complete what he started. Now, what do we see in this vision that will accomplish the work? What Zechariah saw was the golden candlestick and his seven lamps. And we talked about how it represents the Holy Spirit and the seven spirits of the Lord. And so it is the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit working in our lives that will complete or will bring that completion of what God has begun. And so, you know, we can look at verse 6 again, not by might or by power, but by my spirit. So Zechariah is receiving the spirit of God and he's, in, in a sense, as he's prophesying, he's translating, transmitting that power to Zerubbabel and the people so that they can pick up the tools and go finish the work in spite of all of the obstacles and the enemies proclaiming, you know, that they're going to destroy them and kill them and so forth. They were empowered. And so they need to, they need to be empowered, right? They faced that great mountain, right? In the, the restoration temple, that great mountain was, was an empire. It was Persia, right? And so those Persian kings and so forth. And of course, their ungodly neighbors, right? Their enemies, um, gave wrong reports, uh, evil reports to the king saying that they're rebelling and trying to build the walls and they're going to stop paying taxes and so forth. Um, and so they stopped building. Because the king, when he heard that report, he ordered them to stop. So they were obedient to the king. But after a time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, they had the word of the Lord and said, that said, start building. Start believing and obeying by faith. And God turned the decree of the king into their favor because then when the king actually looked into it, they saw, oh, well, it actually started with King Cyrus, the, the Persian king, and he ordained this and they're not rebelling. They're just following the decree of my predecessor. So I'll endorse that. And in fact, he said to their enemies, stop opposing them. In fact, you have to help them and you have to give to their work so that it's accomplished. So God turned that for their good, not by might or by power or by human wisdom, but by the Spirit of God. And so it is such a key that we receive our empowerment to overcome by the Spirit of God in the last days, but even now. Zerubbabel had his mountains, and they were pretty big and pretty dark, right? I mean... The kingdom of Persia was a pretty dark kingdom. I mean, there wasn't a lot of good things happening except when God placed his godly people in good positions. And, you know, in our days, we have our mountains too. Things are growing dark. It seems like the mountain's getting bigger, right? The more more we progress, like, oh, the mountain's grown today, right? Turn on the news and it seems like it's getting higher and higher. It's getting darker and darker. But those mountains are nothing, for the Spirit of God. His light will shine through the darkness. In fact, the darker it gets, the greater the light will become and the greater it will be seen. And, and so we need to cry out to God for His Spirit to empower us, to flow through us. And also, that we would give His Spirit free reign in our lives 
to accomplish His work. We need the Spirit of God to operate. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom, of counsel, and might, and knowledge, and especially the fear of the Lord. That as His Spirit is operating in us, we allow Him free reign to work. You know what we're doing? We're allowing Him to come in and proclaim the Word of the Lord. And what's the Word of the Lord? It's not by might or by power, but by my Spirit. What are you, O mountain, before my people that you can oppose the work that I want to do? I want the Lord to come in and proclaim that in my life. I want him to proclaim that in our church. All right, if we face opposition, I mean, I don't know if too many people know about us right now or anything, but there's still spiritual opposition. There's a spiritual power that doesn't want us to grow, doesn't want us to, to increase or flourish or prosper. But that, you know, whatever the spiritual power is doesn't concern me. What concerns me is, Holy Spirit, we need you more. We need you in our lives. We need, we need you to empower us because when you are empowering us and you're flowing through us in a greater way, it doesn't matter what mountain is opposing us. You can give us faith to speak to that mountain and it'll be cast into the midst of the sea. And so when we allow his spirit in our lives to to have free reign, we're allowing him to proclaim in our lives the word of the Lord. What are you, O mountain, before Al or Les or Henry or Barb or Carolyn or so forth? What are you, O mountain, that you will stand before my people? And so we, we need the Holy Spirit. We need him flowing through us. And, of course, there's some very practical things we can do to encourage the Spirit of God to flow in our lives to a greater degree. You know, one is, I uh, mentioned last week about just, you know, worshiping and how we can sing unto the Lord. And thank God it's not the quality of our voice. Yeah. You know, some are blessed with better quality voices than others, but in the sight of God, it doesn't matter because he's not looking at the quality of our voice. He's looking at the quality of our heart and our spirit. And we so need to have those times when we're opening our spirit to God and to the Holy Spirit. That's what what it's really about. It's having times where we're opening our spirit to Christ and his spirit. And how sad it is when the children of God are on this earth but don't open themselves or make time to open themselves for the Spirit of God to flow through them. You know, I just think we're going to get to heaven and look back and be like, what was I thinking? That I didn't make that time. I wish I'd made more time for the Spirit of God to flow through us and course the lord can redeem the time and help us to redeem the time and so we want to make that very practical step you know and and a very practical way is just sing unto the lord let his spirit flow through our spirit psalm 28 verse 7 the lord is my strength and my shield my heart trusts in him and i am helped therefore my heart greatly rejoices and with my song i will praise him it's a very practical way to acknowledge God and to open our hearts. With my song, I will praise him. And, you know, of course, as I said, it doesn't matter, you know, what our voice is like, 
but you know, I don't know if you should break out into song in the midst of walking in the mall or something like that, but you know, there's good places we can do it at home in our prayer time or in, you know, in the car when we're driving or, or whatever time we can find. And if you want to do the shower, that's fine too. The Lord doesn't, doesn't mind as long as we're opening our hearts to him. But that's the key that we're opening our spirits to his spirit. There's another very practical way that we can do that, and that's by speaking in tongues, is by having the Spirit of God flowing through us. It's one of the signs or the sign of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And when we speak in tongues, it opens our spirit so that the Holy Spirit can not just flow through us, but speak through us, pray through us. You know, there have been many times when I'm facing a situation, I say, Lord, what do I even pray about this? And well, thankfully, I can just say, well, I don't know what to pray, so Holy Spirit, you pray. And we can pray in tongues, but, you know, we can worship in tongues. Lord, I can't remember the words to these songs. And that's so, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I know, I know, I know this song. What is it? Well, if I don't remember the words, the Holy Spirit does, or he can put in better words. And so we can pray by the Spirit of God and worship in the Spirit. We're allowing the Spirit to flow through us to increase our capacity for Him to flow. And you know, I think that's why the Apostle Paul told his churches in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than every one of you. That must have been like, he's boasting, but it's a good boast. I think it's because he needed the Spirit of God. He needed the flow of the Spirit because of what God had called him to, because of the, the opposition he was facing. So he needed the Spirit of God. And, and he was acknowledging to them, that's my source. Or my, you could maybe say my secret of strength. I speak in tongues a lot. If it's good for the Apostle Paul, it's good for us. And so we need to be empowered by the Spirit of God there's another thought we can consider with this is we need to be led by his spirit. Romans 8 and verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are, I'm going to insert a word here, the mature sons, and another, another word, and daughters of God. As many as are led by the spirit, they become the ones who are mature sons and daughters of God. And so this is where it gets really practical. Lord, do you want me to do this thing? Lord, do you want me to say this thing? Lord, I have the decision to make. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? As we allow him to do that, as we open our hearts and our lives to the direction and the leading of the, of the Spirit, he guides us in safe pathways and allows him to do that work of completion. He shows us how our plans and ideas either they align with God or they don't align. They take us off course. And we submit them to God. And that's so important because right, the Bible describes our lives as being a building. We are living stones being built and shaped by the Spirit of God. We're being fashioned into, into the living temples of God that His Spirit dwells in or He desires to dwell. And so we have to allow Him to do that work we actually see this thought back in Zechariah. There's a, a builder's term that was used in this in Zechariah 4.10. I'm going to read from the ESV here. 
It says, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. He shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. He'll see the plumb line. And, you know, the plumb line was just basically a string with a weight on it. And as long as it came to rest, it was a perfect vertical line. That would sh- and they could hold that up to a wall and see, oh, look, the wall's perfect, or uh-oh, it's bowing. Sometimes I work on my house and I, I say, well, they didn't use a plumb line. It's, it's, not, there's no, it's not really any straight walls or anything. But, it, but the, the word of the Lord was, God was going to put that building tool in the hand of Zerubbabel, and he was going to complete that work. But the plumb line showed what lined up and what didn't. And so the Lord is also handing us the plumb line of his spirit. And it's his Holy Spirit witnessing in our hearts as the plumb line. And we have to compare ourselves. And, you know, that's, that's the, the part we have to play. You know, we can just, if we don't look at the plumb line, we can say everything's A-OK. I'm doing good. But when we look at that, and we open our hearts to the Spirit. He brings the plumb line and we say, whoa, there is a crooked stone here that needs to be addressed, that needs to, to be looked at. Lord, would you come and do that work? And so it's so critical that we align ourselves to the plumb line or to the cornerstone, as Christ is called. You know, no one wants to look at a beautiful building and everything's perfectly straight and, you know, it's just gleaming new stone, except that one stone that no one fixed. Someone, everyone thought it was someone else's job, and there's that stone, and it's just sticking out, and it's affecting other stones. Actually, God won't allow that stone to remain. He'll work it and shape it because his will is that his building is straight and smooth. We don't want to be that stone right? that's out of, not fully aligned, that has bumps or it's not even because you know what happens when you try and place a stone that's not even in a course of other stones? It affects everything else that comes after it. Everything else is crooked because that one stone is crooked. And so the Lord wants to come in and line us up to his plumb line and show us those areas that need to be made smooth. And so we want to cry out to the Lord, Lord, Make my life straight. Help me align to the cornerstone that I can fit perfectly in your building, in your wall, that I could be a pillar in the temple of God. One last thought I want to just consider with you is that we see in, in Zechariah, and this is in verse 10. And he, he asks this question, who shall despise, this is uh, Zechariah 4.10 says, who shall despise the day of small things. They shall rejoice. So in the restoration era, they probably felt so small and insignificant to the might of Persia. You know, one thing I was kind of surprised at when I was looking at the old city of Jerusalem and some of the new city is is how small it was. It wasn't that big. You know, today it's big, but when you factor in where the walls were back in the day, it was not that large. I mean, they would, they would have been crammed in there if there was a lot of people. I can't imagine what it was like on a feast day. It just would have been, you know, elbow to elbow there because it wasn't that big of a place. And so here they are, this little city that 
you know, as the joy of the whole earth that, well, God wants to restore it to be that. But they feel quite small and insignificant. But the Lord is saying to them, who has despised this day of small things? God was telling them to build, even though the city was small, the progress was slow, it was hard work. But God was speaking to them, don't despise the work I'm doing, even though it seems small. But isn't that how faith operates? God told us, faith is like a mustard seed that's the smallest of seeds. And sometimes God will work. He'll give us, he'll give us a little word, a little quickening of the spirit. Just enough for us to know, I think this is the Lord. And then we have to test it. Then we got to walk in it and be faithful in it. And if we obey and allow his spirit to come, it causes that faith to grow. And then we know, oh, you know, I'm so glad I obeyed. Because now I see what God's doing. He's causing it to grow and increase. There was one last verse I wanted to share with you. And I mentioned that there were a couple of verses quickened to me. Um, and the, the first one was the passage in Zechariah. The, but there was another one um, that I want to read now. It's in Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. We can kind of relate it to this thought of waiting upon the Lord and not despising the small work that he's doing, but it says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now, this kind of verse is always encouraging it to me. Not the waiting part, right? No one likes that. But I love what it says here. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of Christ and the patient waiting. You know, we have our part in our effort. We, have, we cannot downplay that. Can't put it all on God, you know. But we also can't put it all on us. In fact, God doesn't want us to. Because we can cry out to him. And it says he directs our heart. He moves our heart. He encourages our heart and strengthens us into the love of God. Into his fullness and completion. Because love is the bond of perfection and completion in Christ, as it says in Colossians 3. And so we can pray and cry out to the Lord. Lord, would you direct my heart into your love into, into a love for your ways and into a love for your truth, a love for your word, a love for all of those things that are going to be good for me and cause your spirit to grow. And of course, at the same time, we need a hatred for what is not to identify the things that are going to be detrimental to us and just like weeds, pull them out while we can before they grow big and you need a lot of effort and help. I've got a lot of plants that maybe if I'd at my house, if I pulled them sooner, I wouldn't have need a pick and shovel to get them out, but now I do. But, you know, that love for God's way and for his spirit, God will direct us into that if we cry out to him. But then also, notice what it says, he'll direct us into the patient waiting for Christ. The work of God starts small, sometimes seemingly insignificant, and it seems like it takes a whole lot of time to complete. Longer than we think it should. And so we come to the Lord and, or we look at ourselves and we say, why am I not seeing any activity? I'm not seeing too much progress. or I'm not seeing 
A lot of movement in this area where God was speaking. Lord, I'd like to see something. I want to see some movement or progress or something. But the the cry of God is, let me direct your heart into patient waiting. Patient waiting and continuance. Maybe we need some more time of being empowered by the Spirit. Some more time of waiting upon the Spirit of God for Him moving and speaking and increasing faith within us being led by the Spirit. And as we do these things, and we wait patiently for Him, eventually, the work will be accomplished. Eventually, we will line up to the cornerstone for our lives so that we can all flow together as the temple of the living God. And so let's cry out for God for this new year that He would work within us, that He would do that that work, increase the flow of the Spirit in our lives to lead us, to direct us into His love, that we would patiently wait for Him and He'll accomplish His work here in Clearwater, in our fellowship, also in our, in our church here and in our lives. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank You for Your promises and for Your purpose. Lord, we invite You now We invite your spirit to come in a new and a fresh way. Oh, Lord, have your way in us. Lord, come and work. Come and increase. Lord, we acknowledge that there are things in our lives that need to be straightened, that need to be smoothed out, some valleys that need to be filled in, some mountains that need to be brought down. But, Lord, we invite you today that you would come and work in our lives. Oh, Holy Spirit, even quicken us. Lord, we just invite you to come and and turn our hearts and move our hearts, direct our hearts into your love and into those things that will do a complete work within us. Oh, Lord, we invite you to come. Oh, have your way within us. Lord, complete what you have begun, that we will be perfect and whole in you, we ask. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.